vertigo, a feeling of dizziness, a swimming in the head. Figuratively, a state in which all things seem to be engulfed in a whirlpool of terror. Welcome to the Merck Manual's Medical Myths Podcast, where we set the record straight on today's most talked about medical topics and questions. I'm your host, Joe McIntyre, and on this episode, we welcome Dr. David Cayley. Dr. Cayley is an ear, nose, and throat doctor, head and neck surgeon, neurotologist, and otologist. He comes to us from Duke University Medical Center and is also the author of a number of sections in the Merck Manual. Dr. Cayley, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Cayley about a topic that I think a lot of people find truly fascinating, the feeling of vertigo. What is it? How does it work? And why do we feel it sometimes? Now, there may be many people out there who think that they've never experienced vertigo. Uh, but Dr. Cayley, we talked uh, about a week or so ago, and you say that's probably not the case. Uh, many of us have probably had this experience when we were kids. Care to explain a little bit? Yes, uh, most of us have experienced what true vertigo is, and by that I mean a, a, a rotational sensation like the world is spinning around. And people have experienced that when you're kids because most of us have spun around in a circle and then stopped until we felt dizzy. And that truly is the sensation of vertigo where you feel like the world around you is spinning in a, in a ro- rotation, like you're on a merry-go-round or the world is on a merry-go-round revolving around you. Uh, so what's the difference between simple dizziness and vertigo? Dizziness is a term that can mean anything. It really doesn't have a medical meaning. It could be true vertigo, like rotational spinning, or it could be a sensation off balance. It could be a lightheadedness from low blood pressure, or it doesn't really have a, a medical meaning. Whereas the term vertigo really refers to an abnormal sensation of motion to a normal stimulus, or even if there is no stimulus, having a sensation of motion. So it really requires there to be a, an abnormal sensation of motion. And it doesn't have to be a rotational motion. It could be kind of a disequilibrium, like a rocking sensation or a unsteadiness, but it's an abnormal sensation of motion. So I know a lot of us, when we were kids, we did a little spinning or we spun around in, a, in an office chair just to see what that sensation was like. Does this cause vertigo later in life if you do this as a kid? No, not at all. There's no, no risk for that at all. That does not um, change anything in the brain or put you at risk for developing balance or dizziness problems later in life. There's other aspects of vertigo beyond just spinning around as a kid or spinning around in an office chair. What about when you're, let's say, in a parked car and you see a car beside you start moving and you start to feel a little woozy or feel a little dizzy? Is that vertigo? What's the difference between that and the spinning vertigo? Is there, is there any difference? So that that's actually a sensation that most of us have experienced at some point where you're in a parked car and you look out the window and the car next to you moves and you have that very strong sensation that you're moving or it can happen on a train or a bus. But most of us have experienced something like that. And it, it's a really, it could be a very powerful sensation that you're moving or falling and, and you have to grab onto something or slam on the brakes. Um, so it can be quite distressing. And that's caused by a mismatch in the input that your brain uses to maintain balance. So balance isn't just your inner ear telling you your brain where your head is in space. 
your brain is also taking information from, from your eyes. Your eyes are telling your brain where you are in space, and your muscles and skin and joints are telling you where your body is in space. So your brain takes information from all three of those sources and combines it to give you a sensation of balance. So when you're in a parked car and the car next to you moves, your eyes are telling your brain you're moving, but your inner ear and your muscles are saying you're not, and that mismatch gives you vertigo. So one other myth that we hear is uh, this idea that when you go to pick something up, for example, you bring your head down to the ground and you come up really quickly, um, you may have some dizziness or you may feel lightheaded. Is that vertigo? No. That's a totally different feeling, and that, that's real important to differentiate that when you're talking to patients because that, that's caused by a totally different thing, not, not caused by the inner ear or the balance system. When, when you're bent over and your head is below your heart, the heart can sense that it doesn't have to pump very hard to get blood to your brain because just blood will go into your head by gravity. Then if you stand up real quickly, now all of a sudden the heart has to pump harder to get blood up to your brain against gravity and you can have a brief moment where you have a little bit of insufficient blood to the brain which gives you that lightheaded near passing out feeling so most people have experienced that also um, that could happen to anybody if you've been bent over for a long time and stand up real quickly you get that head rush or lightheaded feeling but that can also happen to people whose blood pressure is too low if you're anemic meaning your, your blood counts are too low or you're dehydrated all those things can cause that, but it's not vertigo, and that's not caused by the inner ear. So we talked in the beginning how pretty much everybody who's listening to this podcast has experienced vertigo in one shape or the other. How common is vertigo later in life? Is it something that affects older people more than younger people or sicker people more than healthier people? How does, how does it come up later in life? Well, it's actually one of the most common reasons why people visit primary care offices in the, in the U.S. And as you get older, the likelihood of having a, an episode of dizziness that you seek medical attention for goes up. So by age 80, 60% of people will have seen a doctor at some point in their life for, for dizziness. So it, it is a very, very common healthcare issue and reason for visiting the doctor. And so it ends up being a very costly symptom because there's missed work and doctor's visits and, and medical costs associated with it. Now, I'm sure when a lot of people hear the word vertigo, they think of the uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, Vertigo, yeah. uh, starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. And I believe in the movie, he more so experiences a fear of heights. And there is a difference between vertigo and a fear of heights, is there not? Or are they somehow related? Yeah, that, that, that is true. Um, I mean, the, the phobia of heights, or some people have um, agoraphobia, so they have fear of going outside, and that, that fear can be very intense, and it causes an intense anxiety, which can give you a dizzy feeling, but it truly is not vertigo. Now, there are, there are anxious conditions that are triggered by a true vertigo event that leads to anxiety and fear of heights or fear of falling or fear of going outside, and there truly was a, a vertigo event that led to it, but the anxiety is really a different diagnosis than, than vertigo. So 
Dr. Kaley, can you explain the difference between vertigo as a symptom of, a, of another health issue or vertigo as a medical condition? Is vertigo essentially the issue or is it essentially a side effect of a more serious or potentially serious medical condition? Yeah, vertigo is a symptom. It's, it's not really a diagnosis. So a lot of times I'll see patients who had a vertigo event and went to the emergency room and they tell me, well, the doctor there said I had vertigo. And I was like, well, yes, of course, you had vertigo. That's, that's obvious, but that isn't the diagnosis. That's not what the underlying problem is. It's sort of like having a cough. You can have a cough because you have a cold, or you can have a cough because you have lung cancer. The cough is just a symptom, so you need to find out what the underlying disease is that's causing the vertigo. So that's, that's the important thing is to understand that there is a symptom of vertigo, but knowing what the characteristics of that vertigo is, like how long did it last, what other symptoms did you have with it, like did you have any changes in hearing or ringing in your ears, or did you have a migraine associated with it, or weakness in the side of your body, or facial paralysis, or or hearing, you know, other things that could be related to it. So isolated vertigo without any other symptoms really doesn't happen. There's always something else that goes along with it that helps you really come to a true diagnosis of what the cause is. And you mentioned something uh, just a few seconds ago that I think is something that people suffer from uh, a decent amount is the idea that migraines, um, sometimes they can cause pain, sometimes they can cause sensitivity to light, and then sometimes they can cause vertigo. How do you go about diagnosing migraines and what role does vertigo play in that? Yeah, that's actually uh, hugely important because the association between migraine and vertigo is very, very high. And surprisingly, it wasn't really put together. The, the two weren't associated for a very long time, even though the earliest medical reports on migraine discuss the frequency of vertigo. It was just not really understood as a symptom of migraine until quite recently. And so there are diseases that can happen where you, you might have one disease and you might have another disease and you just happen to have two diseases by random chance. But the incidence of having vertigo and migraine is actually three times higher than random chance. So there clearly is a very high correlation between migraine and vertigo. In fact, in some reports, up to 50% of patients who have migraines will have vertigo at some point. So it's really, really important when someone has a new symptoms of vertigo to actually find out about a migraine history. And a lot of times, the migraines might be fairly minor, and there's a lot of misconceptions about what migraines are. People think of them as these absolutely crippling headaches with just where you're in a dark room, nauseated and, and miserable. And a lot of times the headaches can be quite mild, and actually the other symptoms can be much more pronounced. So it's really important to think of a migraine as a constellation of neurologic symptoms, and vertigo is one of them. Now, sticking on the topic of migraines just for a second, is there anything that brings about migraines in people, or is it just some people just are, you know, afflicted with this with this condition and there's really no rhyme or reason, or it's a little bit more um, of a complex uh, issue than that? Well, yes to all those. <laughs> um, it, it, migraines are, are really complicated. 
there are certain things like they, they run in families. It's very common for multiple people in the family to have migraines. So there's clearly a, a genetic component. Women get migraines up to six times more frequently than men do. So there's gender triggers for it. It could be hormonal. There are environmental triggers. Some people get migraines triggered by smells or lights or foods. So there, there's a lot of foods that are very common migraine triggers that people don't even think about. That would be very shocking that they're actually migraine triggers like bananas and avocados are, are really high incidence of triggering migraines in patients who are susceptible to migraines. So really one of the most important things to do in someone who has a new diagnosis of migraines is to look at a migraine diet and eliminate a lot of these common foods that can that can trigger migraines. Most people know about red wine and chocolate and cured meats like salami are, are pretty well-known triggers for migraines, but there's a lot of other foods like potatoes. Like who would think a potato could be bad for right. you, but um, it, it could really trigger migraines. So it's real important if you do have migraines and you do have vertigo to really try and, and look at diet as a non-medicine treatment. And a lot of people get tremendous relief just from diet modifications. Thanks, Dr. Cayley. More right after this. The Merck Manual's website offers a variety of video, audio, and interactive content. With so many choices, it's easy to access information is the best first place to go for free, understandable medical content. stick to the issue of heads real quick. Is there any correlation between head injuries and vertigo? And I ask this because uh, one of my colleagues actually uh, recently got into a skiing accident, uh, hit his head uh, on the on the ground and went to the doctor and, you know, wasn't experiencing any symptoms of vertigo. Uh, but then the doctor put his head over the back of a chair uh, and tilted it back a little bit and experienced some vertigo. How does How does that relate to each other and what's the connection there? Well, that's a specific type of vertigo called benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, or BPPV. And it commonly occurs after a, a minor head injury. And basically what happens is crystals that are in one part of the inner ear where they're supposed to be can get shaken loose by a head injury and it floats into another part of the inner ear. And it causes a very specific type of vertigo. It causes a really intense spinning dizziness when you lean your head back and tilted to one side or the other. And it generally only lasts 30 to 90 seconds and no other symptoms associated with it. Like you don't have hearing loss, you don't have um, ringing in your ear, you don't have a headache. Um, it can make you very nauseated, but um, really that, that's it. And that, that's really specific. And that's fixable by a, a maneuver called the Epley maneuver or more technically it's called the Canalith repositioning maneuver. Um, those, those are a couple ways of fixing it, and it's very fixable. You know, that those maneuvers will eliminate it in 95% of people after one or two tries. So that's certainly one type of vertigo that can happen after a, a head injury. But the other thing we really have learned a lot about is the effects of concussion and traumatic brain injury and its effect on migraine and, and vertigo. Um, we see so many professional athletes who have multiple concussions who've developed traumatic brain injuries and, and have chronic headache and, and, and dizziness. Uh, we see it a lot in the soldiers who've had 
a lot of explosions from IEDs have caused a lot of traumatic brain injury and concussions, and there are tremendous amount of problems with vertigo and, and migraines. So head injury and traumatic brain injury can cause tremendous amount of problems for for various reasons. And that specific one you mentioned is just one. It just happens to be one that's quite easily fixed. Uh, the vertigo you get from a traumatic brain injury or even multiple concussions is is much more complicated and, and um, severe and difficult to treat. Dr. Cayley, you mentioned something pretty interesting there, this idea that we have crystals in our ears. Uh, can you explain more about what these crystals are, how big they are? Can we actually see them? Can we take them out of our heads and, and actually see them uh, with the naked eye? Well, you won't ever see them. Um, fortunately, if you did, you'd have a problem because they're <laughs> deep inside the inner ear. So they're, they're pretty isolated. But they're in a part of the inner ear that helps you detect motion when you're going up and down, like, when you're in an elevator, you know you're going up or down because of those crystals in the inner ear. They help stimulate that part of the inner ear to detect that kind of motion. So you don't have to look around you to see you're moving in an elevator. You can just sense it. And so the crystals are very, very important for that part of the inner ear to work. But there's other parts of the inner ear that detect the head motion rotation. So like shaking your head no or shaking your head yes. Those motions are detected by a different part of the inner ear, and if the crystals break loose and float into one of those areas, it'll cause that specific type of dizziness. Is there a uh, correlation between hearing loss and vertigo? Were there instances where uh, someone experiences vertigo with hearing loss, and it's a sign of a of a different or more serious condition? There's a lot of different types of vertigo that can be associated with hearing loss, and that it's really important when someone does have vertigo and hearing loss to get evaluated. So if someone has an episode of vertigo and they feel like they lost hearing in one ear, that really requires medical attention because it can be caused by one of several things. There's a condition called Meniere's disease, which is episodes of vertigo that can be really intense that last for 20 minutes to hours, and it's associated with hearing loss mostly in just one ear that can be pretty severe and they also get very loud noise in their ear tinnitus is the term but it's a very loud noise it's often described as a roaring or jet engine noise so it's very loud and intense pressure in your ear so it's a feeling that you have to pop your ear or you can't clear your ear and so the hearing loss the vertigo the pressure and the ringing are the four symptoms of Meniere's disease and they all come in a wave or an attack, and they last could last for hours. So that's really important. But there can also be benign growths on the hearing and balance nerve that can mimic that and can cause you to have a sudden drop in hearing and dizziness. And so anyone who has that constellation of symptoms with vertigo and hearing loss needs to get an MRI to look at the hearing and balance nerves to make sure that they don't have one of these benign non-cancer growths. So, Dr. Cayley, over the past few minutes, we've talked about this idea that vertigo is typically a symptom of another medical condition. So let's say someone experiences vertigo quite often. Who should they go about calling when they have this issue? Is it a physical therapist? Is it 911? Is it their uh, primary care physician? Or is it you? Who should they call? There's no right answer for that. Um, any one of those would be appropriate. Uh, if someone is very concerned and they feel that something dangerous is happening, you certainly should go to the emergency department 
to be evaluated. Most of the time, an acute vertigo event is not a sign of anything really dangerous, so it's not something that often needs that level of care, but certainly I would never tell anyone don't go to the ED if they're concerned. But that being said, um, the treatment for vertigo is often physical therapy. That's often a very helpful treatment. Physical therapy retrains the brain to accept the input it's getting as normal. So if somebody has an injury to the inner ear or a surgery where it knocks out some of the inner ear function or they have a condition like Meniere's disease where it can deteriorate your balance function, then physical therapy can be very helpful. The problem is if someone's having frequent episodes of vertigo and it's their, their function in the inner ear is changing day to day, physical therapy will actually make you feel a lot worse and, and won't help you. It has to be something that happened once and is stable and the brain just needs help recovering from it and accepting the new normal. When someone's having migraines and meniers as a cause of vertigo, that means the inner ear function is fluctuating every time they have a meniers attack or a migraine, and physical therapy won't help with that. So really, the best treatment for vertigo in that case is treating the underlying cause. So migraine medications or diet, and with Meniere's, there, there are multiple medications and sometimes even surgeries that can be helpful. So if somebody's having multiple episodes of vertigo, then they, they really do need to be evaluated. And that's generally something that's best treated by a specialist, um, either a neurotologist, ENT doctor like myself, or a neurologist. ENT doctors are specifically trained in vertigo. So that's something that we often see. So we're, we're a really good source for treatment of vertigo, but there are neurologists who also are quite good with um, diagnosing and, and treating vertigo, especially if it's a migraine that's the cause of it. Now let's say someone is experiencing vertigo but doesn't necessarily feel it's a reason to go to the emergency room or to call their, their ENT doctor. Are there natural ways uh, an individual can help remedy this feeling of vertigo, or is it an instance where if you experience it, you should probably call your doctor? Well, it really depends on, on the nature of the vertigo. So sometimes people can have a one-time event of BPPV. It just happens once, and then the crystal floats out, and then it never happens again. And if you feel fine and it only happened once, then probably it would not be necessary to see a doctor. But if someone's having vertigo over and over again, particularly if their hearing is going down and uh, or if they're having other symptoms, then really should be evaluated. So it, it would have to really use your judgment. Um, there are some people who one episode of vertigo is so distressing they want to make sure there isn't anything else going on, and that's perfectly reasonable. Other people have a much higher threshold for when they would go to a doctor, and sometimes that leads to people putting off things that should have been addressed a long time ago. So it's one of those things where people have to use their own judgment and do what's comfortable for them. But I would not recommend putting off getting treated or seen for vertigo that's happening over and over again. Okay, so Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I think it's been a incredibly, incredibly insightful conversation. If someone has any questions about their experiences with vertigo, what it's like, what it is, are there places that people can go online for answers to their questions? 
Absolutely. I would recommend that people look at Merck manuals. There's great information there on vertigo. Uh, that, that can be very helpful. Another resource people can go to online is msdmanuals.com. There's another association called the Vestibular Disorders Association, or VEDA, V-E-D-A, that's got lots of information. It has links to articles and links to physicians who treat the disorder, and their their website is vestibular.org. So that that's a really good resource as well. And for our listeners who may not be in the United States or Canada, we invite you to visit msdmanuals.com for more information as well. Okay, Dr. Kaylee, thank you so much again for joining us. Like I said, it's been seriously entertaining, I think, uh, to learn more about vertigo and also uh, super educational as well. So as we say at the Merck Manuals, medical knowledge is power. Pass it on. Thank you so much. 